welcome back to Dissecting Dexter. I'm your host, Gareth Watkins, coming to you from the heart of Yorkshire, England, where it's got cold. I do talk about the weather quite often, don't I? It's a staple of us Brits. <laughs> and why would I go against the stereotype? <laughs> but it has. The weather's swung around from the north. I guess uh, we're, we're properly coming out of autumn now and into, into winter. But December, the 1st of December is next week. This Sunday is the first Sunday in Advent. So here in um, the Setting Dexter HQ, <laughs> we're going to be putting up the Christmas tree this weekend, which, uh, which the kids are looking forward to. And if I'm honest, I am too. <laughs> We've already had the Michael Bublé Christmas album playing. Oh, God. And we play Russian Roulette with the first song on the album where he goes, it's beginning to look, that one. And there's an intro and there's a long note that's kind of held in, in the instrumental bit at the beginning before he comes in with the first it's. And every year when we first play it, we try and time singing along with it and getting that it's right. And it's like you hold it, hold it, hold it. Wait, is he going to say it? Is he going to Not yet, not yet. It's. No, too early. <laughs> Am I the only one that does that? I hope not. Well, you'll think I'm weird, if you didn't already. Well, so we are... Oh, we're cracking on into this season, aren't we, of New Blood? And it's really nice and refreshing that... Uh, obviously, I, I get a lot of feedback from you guys, and it's great to hear from you. Um, and I've shared everything that's been emailed to me on the podcast. And as you'll have gathered, if you've been listening the last couple of weeks... The feeling is is pretty positive out there, and that's really great. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Why would I lie? Uh, I'll leave that to Kurt Cordwell. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's nice. I remember so well the the growing sense of doom as the the negative feedback was coming in through the last season of the the original run, season eight, and. It uh, it was a struggle at times, but I, I you know, I as you know, I, I honour all all the feedback, and I had my own negative feelings as well. You know, I'm, I was I was right there with you all. Uh, but this this season, it's great that the the, the fan reception seems to be pretty positive. Uh, so long may it continue. Thank you, uh, everybody uh, who has sent me in feedback specifically relating to the podcast from last week. Uh, where I had Axel Foley on talking about uh, episode two. It seems like the uh, the two-way conversational format uh, was was pretty popular, and uh, I'm glad to glad to say as well that uh, in in future episodes we will be repeating the format. I'm, I'm going to be having a guest host with me uh, for a couple of episodes uh, later in the season. So, uh, so watch out for those. But this week is solo, so I'll, I'll do my best to keep you all entertained, uh, and hopefully not have a coughing fit and and, and <laughs> dry throat that I had last week. Uh, so, apologies to uh, our friend in Israel, Shay. Um, I, I listened back, and and my reading of your email was just awful. Uh, <laughs> so, I, I'm really sorry. That's not your fault. It's my fault. I could, as I was reading, I could feel my throat getting drier and drier and I was trying to read quicker and quicker and it just wasn't working well. So I do apologise. 
In hindsight, I should have just had a drink and started again. Uh, but hey-ho, it's easy to be clever afterwards, isn't it? Uh, okay, so um, what else do I need to talk about before we start this week's episode? Um, yes, I want to say a special thank you. I've not done this in a long time, but you'll know that I have um, some uh, some bumpers that pop up in, in the middle of the episode, little musical breaks with um, a bit of dialogue from the show, a bit of music, and a voiceover, a very dulcet, smooth, deep voice. Uh, this is Dissecting Dexter, or you're listening to Dissecting Dexter. You know what I mean. Uh, that is the voice of Steve Pettit, who very kindly donated his voice talents to producing some... Uh, recording some some voices uh, some voiceovers for me uh, to use in the podcast it's been a long time since i said thank you to him and i need to say thank you again because uh, as long-term listeners will know i had my laptop stolen a few years ago along with all my old uh, raw data files or my old archive of, of, of old podcasts and so on uh, including steve's original voice recordings and recently he, he kindly recorded some re-recorded some for me which is brilliant and i'm eternally grateful for steve uh, for doing that uh, and i i promised i would give him a shout out for his website because he's obviously available for uh, voiceover work and music work uh, if you're interested in simply checking out what he does you can find him at voiceoversandmusic.com and that's steve pettit thanks again steve thanks also to uh my patrons, 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 who have uh, joined the fold in the last week in supporting the podcast. Uh, thank you to uh, Joseph Gaudio, Freaking Geeks, and Joseph in the Spirits. Thank you ever so much for your support. It is so appreciated and, and really does go towards uh, covering the costs of hosting the podcast and the bandwidth. Thank you again. If you would like to support Dissecting Dexter, you can for pound a month at patreon.com slash dissectingdexter. Thank you. Okay, I think that's all I've got to say. This is a long intro now, isn't it? Let's jump into the episode. Dexter New Blood, episode three, Smoke Signals, original air date, the 21st of November 2021, written by David McMillan and directed by Sanford Bookstaver. Here we go. So, from last week's episode, we had a few questions. Who is Iris? Who is the man watching the girl on the laptop? What's he up to? Is it too obvious that it's Kirk Caldwell? And is Edward Olsen a red herring? Or are they in it together? Has Harrison really got any dark tendencies? Can Dexter shake off the rust and get his act together? Have I missed anything? <laughs> we'll get to these questions, but I have to sing the praises of the production values this season, again, particularly the cinematography. It is just beautiful. The opening drone shot over the lake, taking us into Dexter's cabin. What a location and what a gorgeous place to live. Visually, this is such a different show. So, for Harrison and Dexter and their relationship, this episode brought a little progress, I thought, despite some bumps along the way. As the episode begins, Dexter really needs the search for Matt Caldwell to be over and the police off his property. 
We know he stored the body under his fire pit, and when they start talking about bringing in sniffer dogs, he has to accelerate a plan to move it, and his efforts towards this goal form the bulk of Dexter's scenes this week. But he gets distracted by having to enrol Harrison at school. The scene with the school principal is really awkward. Harrison tries to cover a little bit, but to someone who doesn't know them, it, it really shows Dexter to be a crappy dad and one who doesn't know much about his son. Incidentally, we got the first of a few horror references in this scene. The principal's surname is Strode, the surname of Jamie Lee Curtis's character in Halloween, and we later see one of the school kids, Scott, I think, wearing a Halloween t-shirt with Michael Myers on it. To me, this is clearly, clearly the influence of Scott Reynolds. To anyone who follows him on social media, you'll know that he's a massive horror fan. Once done at school, Dex just can't help himself but go to the police station and be nosy about, have, about a break that he's heard about in the Caldwell case. Turns out that the Seneca people had cameras set up around their land and have, have images of Matt killing the deer. Of course, Dex had no idea and this could become a big problem for him. How many cameras are there? Where are they? What else will they show? At this point, I wondered if the cameras might have picked up whoever was creeping about in the woods watching Dexter in episode one. Harrison, no doubt, but was he caught on camera too? Great. I'm going to be brought down by three small town cops. This is Sam from Land and Wildlife Management. And a zoologist. We need you to clear something up for us. Nice touch of humour there. Flavours of the humour they used to have in the early seasons. And did you notice the music? The piano notes. Sounded to me like echoes of the blood theme. Not the only hints we get this week of the Clyde Phillips era. And they're all very welcome. So, the cameras record heat signatures. Which is a little odd. What have they got the cameras for? If security, wouldn't regular photographic cameras be better? I think they mention later, or I think Dexter refers to them later as wildlife cameras, so maybe they're just to monitor the local wildlife populations, the, the deer populations. I don't know. Anyway, lucky for Dexter, they're not photographic cameras, so faces aren't visible. The footage does show Caldwell and someone else in the area. Of course, we know this was Dexter, but the police don't. And it means they're now treating this as a potential crime scene rather than a straightforward missing person job. Kurt Caldwell is there and he's mad that time has been wasted and his son could be hurt somewhere. This is not the direction that Dexter wanted things to go. Meanwhile, at school, we get an interesting insight into Harrison. Zach and Scott, two of the jocks from last week, are joking about catfishing a kid called Ethan. We see Ethan and immediately we can understand he's a bit of a loner and these kids are making sport out of teasing him. I absolutely detest bullies. I hate them. And to begin with, we don't know which way Harrison falls on this, but later it's clear. Harrison befriends Ethan, leaving Audrey and the others at lunch to sit with him instead. To me, this suggests he's incredibly empathic and kind. There's no hint of an ulterior motive or agenda, when he tells Ethan the truth and Zack challenges him, Harrison grabs him violently by the throat and warns him off. 
I wish every bullied child in school had someone to, to stick up for them. Harrison had no need to get involved, but it seems clear that he knows what it's like to be an outsider and doesn't like bullies. All those years in Argentina, he may have been the only American kid in the area and might have been picked on or bullied. Perhaps he had to learn to stick up for himself and get physical. He has an air of cool confidence about him. I think Axel mentioned this last week. And maybe it comes from having dealt with so much shit growing up that not much phases him. He stayed calm when he saw the kid searching his bag in the cabin last week, but didn't make a scene about it. When he was quite within his rights to be angry at the invasion of privacy. Anyway, I really like this from Harrison, sticking up for the underdog. It shows him in a good light, but you could also read it as hints of something darker under the surface. Are you Dexter Morgan? It's me, Harrison. Harrison. You can't. Everyone close to you dies. That's why we're here. You're listening to Dissecting Dexter. I don't know who you're talking about. In the forest, the CSI guy turns up. And he looks kind of goofy with big frizzy hair. Damien Church, I think he said his name was. Another horror reference. Damien was the devil child in the Omen films. They make Damien here look really geeky and clumsy as his stuff sort of falls out of the van and his bag breaks. You can see Dexter's amused, obviously having a professional interest in this as well as a personal one. The guy has a quirky way of speaking and we're meant to get a first impression like he's a bit of a klutz. But Dexter should know from experience not to judge a book by its cover and we quickly see that this fella is no dummy. He reads the blood well and Angela asks him what he thinks happened, just like LaGuerta would have done with Dexter back in the day. And he ends up summarising the scene just about perfectly. Again, not, not what Dexter wanted. Through the blood, they end up confirming Matt was hurt here and the situation just gets more tricky for Dexter. He really underestimated the capabilities of the police, didn't he? Dexter gets pulled away from here by summons to school from the principal. It's kind of typical of TV shows where someone gets a cryptic phone call, leaving you to think that it's something horrible. In this case, I immediately thought, oh, Harrison's been in a fight. But no, we discover he's super bright and has aced the school's assessment test. And they think he cheated. Did you think that was really arrogant of them to think that? like he exceeded their expectations, so it means he cheated, rather than perhaps he actually did really well and he's really clever. What a great start for them as professionals to immediately be suspicious of the new student, innocent until proven guilty. Whether this is what would really happen in a school, I don't know, but in this case, it's meant to be a plot device to cause some friction between father and son. Of course, Dexter has no idea how intelligent Harrison is or isn't. So he asks Harrison if he cheated, which he understandably takes exception to. He has to redo the test, though, and when he tells Dexter later that he got an even better score second time round, it's not a great moment for Dexter. He's just had a moment with Deb, pointing a gun to his head, dressed as Angela. Oh, incidentally, she showed up earlier, too, dressed as the principal, which was a bit jarring. <laughs> Obviously a new creative possibility for her appearances in the show. 
where Dexter superimposes her onto people he's talking to. But Dexter's worried now about the police sniffer dogs coming the next day and he has to take action. Unfortunately, this realisation coincides with Harrison updating him about the test and his response is just a quick congrats when what he should have said was something like I'm really sorry for doubting you, well done son. <laughs> something along those lines. Angela has to call Kurt Caldwell to confirm the blood matches Matt. Kurt's angry that Matt's been made to be some made out to be some criminal. And he is, which she is quick to remind him. Excuse me. He did shoot a deer on Seneca land, which is a criminal offence, and this doesn't change that fact. Kurt is still mad though, and more concerned about his son's welfare. Angela tells him they are widening the search area to include the quarry and the caves. Kurt questions the caves, though, and it's not until the end of the episode that the implication of this question becomes clear. So we'll come back to this. Dissecting Dexter. I kind of have a thing about blood. Dexter digs up Matt's body and removes his, I think it's a high-vis jacket, and we know he plans to leave a scent trail for the police dogs to follow, one that doesn't lead right back to his cabin. While Leonard Cohen's avalanche plays, Dexter trails the jacket around the crime scene, doing what I thought almost looked like a dance. <laughs> it amused me. A, ve a very clever move to do this. Leaving the scent trail, that is. But, and there is a very big but here, and I don't know if it will be addressed in show or whether we're expected to just kind of wave a hand and say, forget about that. There are cameras all over the place. We saw the previous day, they're still running. We saw a close-up of one with a red light flashing as if to say, we're still here. <laughs> Won't they now record this figure scurrying around the crime scene, dragging something over the ground and disappearing off into the trees? It seemed obvious to me. Without the cameras, this will be perfect, a perfect move, but are we to forget that they exist now? I guess we'll see if this comes back to bite him, but surely Dexter's memory isn't so bad that he forgot about the cameras. One thing we didn't forget about was the poor girl in the motel room, and we discover this week that it isn't really an actual motel room, so who knows how she got there. But our mystery man with a laptop is obviously getting ready for showtime, and... He remotely unlocks the door to her room. Something she jumps at gleefully, of course, thinking this is her big chance for freedom. Hooray! But, of course, no. Boo! <laughs> this is more psychological torture, mind fuckery, and he snipes her from a balcony as she runs away across open land. Even with a balaclava on, this really does still look like Cap uh, Clancy Brown to me, and given... Kurt Caldwell was last seen stressed and angry about the police investigation into his son's disappearance. It would make sense for him to now respond, let off steam and lash out and take it all out on his helpless captive. The photography is great as we see her emerge from a hatch from under the building and then running across the snow with the moon behind her. Very nice imagery. We see the house in the background where the sniper lines up his shot. It's not the biggest house, but has trees on three sides, so is presumably isolated up in the forest somewhere. And down she goes. Dex, here's the shot as he's finishing his work on the scent trail, which 
gives us a hint that the sniper's location isn't that far away and potentially well within the new widened police search area. Again, this will feed into what happens at the end. Although, I guess we should acknowledge that sounds can probably travel long distances along uh, valleys, and especially at night when there's not much else, not, much other, not, not many other noises going on. Anyway, next morning, the sniffer dogs arrive, as does a new character. A rock song intro starts to play as a woman steps out of her car with swagger to make her entrance. She speaks to Angela, but doesn't introduce herself. Introduce ourselves? Hi, I'm Gareth. Uh, She doesn't introduce herself, and I wondered if Angela already knew who she was, although we later know she doesn't. We know this to be actress Jamie Chung playing the true crime podcaster we discussed in the New Blood preview discussions pre-season. Jamie Chung is great. She was in Lovecraft Country last year and she's done a lot of voice work and has been in stuff like Sucker Punch, Once Upon a Time, Gotham and a couple of the Hangover films. What sort of problems her character is going to cause for Dexter remain to be seen. Is she going to prove to be a wily investigator or just a pain in Dexter's arse? (laughs) There is another moment with Deb. Dexter talking to her in his car, thinking about what to do with Matt's body and considering options. There's a goofy bit where she suddenly appears outside the car with a big wood chipper and my mind went straight to Fargo. And sure enough, she goes goofy and puts body parts in it and blood sprays everywhere and Dexter made the Fargo reference, which I loved. That's very rare though for this show to make references in dialogue like that. Although the moment itself was a bit weird. I know, she says. (laughs) Cue rock guitar riff and she gleefully feeds limbs into the chipper. They have had brief fantasy moments before. Like last week when Dexter first imagined hitting Matt with a rifle butt. Although they did it at least once or twice in the original series as well. Dexter playing something out in his head. In conversation with Deb, he says about killing Matt that it's one and done, and then just focus on being a dad. It made me think of the recovering addict who just wants a little taste for old time's sake, not realising it could risk going back to square one. Is this going to be the case with Dexter? Now he's had a taste of blood again. It's one of the big questions for the season, isn't it? Who are you? Are you Dexter Morgan or are you fucking Goldilocks? You're listening to Dissecting Dexter. It's a lot cleaner than Deborah Morgan's vocabulary. We see a weird scene of what we presume is the body of the girl shot by the mystery sniper. Seems like he's got himself a metal table like they'd do an autopsy on. He washes the body. And it's interesting to note the drain goes nowhere and just seems to spill out onto the floor, presumably. But he's got a pump to push what is probably embalming fluid into the body, while at the other end, blood drains out into a bucket. Reminded me of Brian, exsanguinating victims in season one. But what's this guy up to here? He captures them, mentally tortures them, then shoots them in the back as they run to freedom. And now he's apparently embalming the corpses too. We theorised that maybe this was a, a, a twisted rich men's sport, paying big bucks to shoot someone, but this seems much more intimate. The thirst of one very sick individual 
Dex has no idea. So we join Angela on Seneca land, talking to a lady there, and Iris uh, gets mentioned. The vibe I'm getting here is that she would be a similar age to Angela. So uh, uh, perhaps a sister or a friend, best friend. The implication is that Iris is one of the many missing girls and who knows, maybe Dexter will find her embalmed corpse later in the season. We still don't know for sure who she is, but I think we're close. And at this point, it's no longer one of the burning questions for me. We get some conversation in the car between Harrison and Audrey and hear she was abandoned by her birth mother as a baby, something she and Harrison have in common, abandonment issues. The car breaks down and while Harrison walks off to find a phone signal, a car pulls up by Audrey, who seems pretty handy with the car maintenance, doesn't she? Who should it be but Edward Olsen? Olsen. He's very courteous and offers to help, and I had a small notion that if he were to be the sniper, is this how he finds his victims, just cruising about the quiet country roads looking for isolated young women? But I don't think it's him at this point. However, Audrey is not inclined to accept his help, as she's really strongly opposed to the environmental damage his business causes. And she gives him a gobful, but he points out the irony of her lecturing him while driving a gas guzzler of a car. This may be a little social commentary here about people who proclaim to care about the planet while not bothering to recycle or do all those little things around the home that can go some way to help. Reducing your carbon footprint, that kind of thing. Again, though, this podcast is not the place for such debates, but this moment just made me wonder if it was a social message. Olsen's parting words of stay safe were an interesting choice, though, almost like a veiled threat or maybe I'm reading too much into it. Dex fulfills his duty and is interviewed by Officer Logan. They are interviewing anyone who had contact with Matt Caldwell prior to his disappearance. Dex has to lie through his teeth, of course, and Logan seems quite thorough, seeming to make a point of Dexter hiking out with his rifle when he's not a hunter. His manner just made me wonder if he's going to become a problem later like he starts to find holes in what Dexter says. Let's just put this thought on the shelf for now, though, but I wouldn't be surprised if it comes back later in the season. Afterwards, Dex excuses himself from work under the pretense of helping with the search, but instead sets off to find a spot to dump Matt's body permanently, knowing it can't stay under his fire, bit, uh, fire pit forever. I wasn't sure if he was privy to where Angela intends to expand her search area to, but he goes to the tunnels of an old abandoned mine, maybe the same caves Angela mentioned to Kurt. I assume so. He decides to bring the body there briefly, <laughs> but I got the feeling that the bear put him off. It was quite funny seeing him do a runner. You don't often see him scared of anything, but this made him move. <laughs> the phone call from Angela made me laugh, or specifically Dexter's silent scream of fuck when she said Harrison was going over for a dinner for dinner with Audrey. He's not keen on any more complications, and I guess he'll be worried about slip-ups in conversation at the dinner table. The last thing he wants are hints about his past being revealed. Before dinner, Harrison gets a call from Ethan. And we see a little into the darkness that years of bullying has created in him. Ethan, that is. It's weird, though, as my youngest son is called Ethan. But anyway, <laughs> he's got a sketchbook of violent pictures. 
Ethan drawing himself in black as this kind of dark marauder, murdering his bullies in ever increasingly gory and bloody ways. Harrison has a sort of smile on his face, like he's thrilled or amused by it, or maybe he just empathises. But drawing like this doesn't make Ethan a potential mass murderer. It could just be an outlet, expression of his anger at those who've picked on him. He probably needs some counselling, to be fair, as his mental health may not be in the best shape. However, what's concerning to me is that he seems to like the idea of the bullies being scared of him. It's a flashing red warning sign to me. Perhaps Harrison can help him in a positive way. Or be an enabler, who knows. We join a nice domestic scene with Dexter and Harrison having dinner with Audrey and Angela. We learn that the podcaster is Molly Park and Angela is not impressed that she's sniffing around looking for a story and has posted a selfie from the scene. I love the little exchange of looks between Dex and Angela when the kids talk about podcasts like they're speaking another language. The subject of the white buck comes up. Audrey wanted something decent to be done with it, not just leave it hanging up in the butcher's cold store. She wants it to have some dignity in death. And again, I like the pause on Dexter's expression considering this, perhaps thinking about Matt's body, although... We also know that he was making a connection with the deer, so has some degree of emotional investment in what happens to it. However, in voiceover, he expresses his apparent pleasant pleasure and surprise at finding finding this in Iron Lake, a place he came to for anonymity and isolation, and now here he is around a normal dinner table with girlfriend, her daughter, and of all things, his own flesh and blood, Harrison. He'd essentially killed himself to protect those left that he still cared about. And now this situation has found him and he likes it. He wants it. Just the detail of Matt's body to get rid of, he thinks. And then it'll all be okay, won't it? <laughs> dot, dot, dot. The Seneca ceremony to honour the white buck was nice. And I love how they show respect for nature. But the ceremony triggers a response from Dexter who apologises to Harrison and commits to being on his side moving forward. Harrison looked at him almost with tears in his eyes. How much he must have wanted to have his dad back all these years, believing he was dead. And now here he is, sitting in the car next to him, committing to be there for him. This isn't just Dexter's journey to refinding himself as a father. This is as much about Harrison, a son, refinding his father and connecting with him. Repairing the damage done by the years spent without him. Damage yet to be revealed. Dex says, Dad, my new favourite word. <laughs> I have to agree with him. Any dad out there listening will agree there is nothing quite like hearing your child call you Daddy, is there? <laughs> This is the Dissecting Dexter Podcast. It doesn't matter what I do. Born in blood. Both of us. Dexter finds inspiration from the deer ceremony and locates a furnace in town to cremate Matt Caldwell's remains. Now, this seemed to be another mistake for me. It's not clear what this furnace is for us to judge how hot it might get. Enough to completely burn a human body? Even in a crematorium, the, burn, the burned remains are ground into fine ash afterwards before placing in an urn for relatives. I can't believe there wouldn't be skeletal remains in there after the burning of Matt, remains that could be found later. 
perhaps not incriminating forensic evidence left, I'm sure. But will it affect the investigation? It could cause big problems for Kirk Caldwell too. For some reason, he's now saying he's spoken to his son. Why is he lying? Is it because he knows that if he says this, the search will be called off? Why would he want the search called off? And why would this be more important to him than finding his son? We know he knows where Angela wants to search next, so is he concerned that the next search area would incorporate where his secret house is, where he hides the abducted girls and where he embalms their bodies? Is that house a mausoleum full of stuffed victims? If the remains are found in the furnace and identified, the police will want to know why Kurt lied. This all assumes that he's the sniper, of course, but why else would he want the search to end? My only doubt about this line of questions is that Kurt seemed drunk. If he had a plan to throw off the investigation, wouldn't, it, wouldn't he be better able to orchestrate it sober? Is it possible that he really does think he's spoken to his son? Is someone impersonating him? Getting drunk in celebration would make sense, so who knows? Maybe this is all part of the ruse. So many questions. That's my dog drinking. <laughs> Wanting to gate crash the podcast, I don't know. Attention seeker. <laughs> A pretty good episode overall. And I'm encouraged by flavours of OG Dexter, seasons one to four. The original Clyde Phillips era. The humour a sense of fun and occasional mischief. I like where we're at. What do you guys think? Listener feedback. Well, this is old school, isn't it? <laughs> I was fully intending to record this uh, feedback sec- section from home, but unfortunately duty called and I've had to come out for work. But as I say, it's old school. I'm recording from the mobile studio now like old times so uh no apologies if uh if a plane comes over or a dog barks or someone bangs on the window uh <laughs> warts and all here we go so um let's have a look at your feedback dan mcgarrity from glasgow emailed to say is it just me who thinks dexter looks like lloyd from dumb and dumber <laughs> seriously someone should have said to michael c hall we need to do something with that hair <laughs> Now let's talk about Harrison. James Alcott is playing a blinder as Harrison, a confident actor. Is he like his father, a killer? There are subtle clues, or are we only thinking what Clyde Phillips wants us to? My point about Harrison is this. As a kid growing up in Argentina, would he be bilingual? His accent would not be a full-blown American. There would be a hint of an accent, perhaps like Batista. Perhaps I'm being picky, but it does irritate me slightly as this is supposed to be Dexter rebooted to make up for the crappy last episode. Also agree with you, Gareth. This giving clues to what's coming up in the episode is rubbish. Unfortunately, the episodes are already good to go, so no one will edit them out. Thanks, Danny. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm sure they're not going to uh, stop doing it just on our say so. <laughs> you make a good point about Harrison's accent. His accent is very clearly American. So it could mean that he wasn't instructed to put on uh, uh, an accent with a, a hint of Latin America. I mean, he, he was very young when he moved out. And uh, as, as as we know, when people move to foreign countries at, at a young age uh, and, and grow up there, you, you adopt the accent, don't you? You speak the language. We've already seen Harrison this week speaking a bit of Spanish. So he does have some of the some of the lingo. 
but no accent. It could also mean that maybe he's spent, maybe he's latched onto something. Maybe he's spent more time in America than he's letting on. And he didn't just return to Miami after Hannah died. There's a thought that we hadn't considered before. Thanks, Danny. Luke Farmer from Essex in England has emailed to uh, to say he thinks this is the best episode since the season seven finale. Perfect balance of humour, darkness and warmth. He also says we're learning a lot about Harrison and it seems we're being led to believe that he is definitely he definitely has some psychopathic and violent tendencies. In doing so, however, I wonder if we're actually being told the opposite. If he was a psychopath or at least a good one like his dad he wouldn't be showing his hand quite so blatantly. Perhaps that's why he's found Dexter for a lesson in blending in. Grabbing Zack by the throat, befriending the odd kid in school, showing extraordinary intelligence and grinning at murderous drawings isn't great camouflage. On Ethan, I've got a feeling he could get Harrison into some trouble. He's obviously a tormented boy and I wonder if the confidence he'll gain from Harrison being by his side will make him feel empowered and lead him, to doing, lead him to doing something a bit drastic. I'm convinced that the big bad is Kurt. I'm sure I could see a beard under that white balaclava, and the shooter looks a pretty big guy, too big to be Edward Olsen. If it's him, I couldn't help but notice how he seems to be moulded on Trinity, a big, older, Caucasian guy with white hair, an upstanding member of the community, a charitable man, a family man, even the way he played a vinyl record as part of the kill ritual was in homage to Trinity. Trinity opting for Venus by Frankie Avalon, which he plays before attempting to kill Scott, and Kurt choosing Runaway by Del Shannon. If it is Kurt, he's a fan of Clyde Phillips, not sure if anyone else spotted the books on his desk. I think the big, big bad in New Blood is going to be pretty horrendous. The draining of the blood and the fact that the victims are all young women suggests to me he may be creating some sort of sickening collection of China dolls. If it is Kurt, that throws into question the relevance of Olsen. Is he part of a ring of rich, powerful, a powerful group of men with a horrific shared pastime? I wonder if Kurt's drunken confession to Dexter around having spoken to Matt is his way of attempting to end the investigation and protect himself. It seems coincidental that as soon as his DNA was collected by the police, his son is alive and well. Perhaps he's opting for self-preservation over finding out the truth about his son. Final couple of thoughts. Loved how Deb was presented in this episode. As you know, I've not enjoyed Demon Deb Whilst And whilst she still had a real edge in this episode, she, she she seemed to be much closer to the Deb of old, and I for one was pleased to see it. I know a lot of people have pointed out the similarities between her and Angela, but there was one shot where she seemed to be wearing an old uh, an Iron Lake police uniform, and the resemblance was uncanny. I think it's clear now that the likeness is deliberate. I did have one thought, perhaps more of a hope, that Molly, the true crime podcaster, is going to lead us to Masuka. Her inappropriate comments, as well as her Asian-American background and flamboyant fashion sense, were all reminiscent of Vince. I wonder if he's now the lead forensic investigator for the FBI and perhaps Molly is his girlfriend. Probably a stretch too far, but with knowledge of a much-loved character returning, it could be. Thanks, Luke. Great feedback. You're right. If Harrison does have a dark passenger of his own, the signs suggest he really does need his dad's guidance. But as we saw this week, he's distracted with stuff of his own. Maybe that'll settle next episode, now he's burnt Matt's remains. However, Harrison also showed restraint and calmness when the kids rifled through his bag the week before, so he does have some control. 
perhaps bullies just push his buttons. The Easter egg of Clyde Phillips' books, yes. After his appearance in the bowling photo last week, <laughs> is he going to be Dexter's Stan Lee, having a little cameo each episode? It's funny that you really enjoyed Deb this week. She was much lighter overall, but it's funny because my wife had the opposite reaction, quite a visceral one. <laughs> She's really put off by Deb's appearances, even though we know, we know it's really not Deb. Just a projection of Dexter, but still, she's finding it off-putting. I'm a little more in the middle because, honestly, I did find the wood chipper bit way too goofy. But otherwise, it makes total sense for Dexter to visualise Deb nowadays, and I, I find their interactions interesting. And finally, you're you're predicting that Masuka will be back. I wouldn't mind if he did appear, as long as the connection was believable and he's not shoehorned in. Mike Lanich from the Freaking Geeks podcast network based in Pennsylvania has emailed to say that he's enjoying the work of Jennifer Carpenter and Jack Alcott very much. Uh, he also writes, when the original show was at its peak creatively in the first four to five seasons, it forced Dexter into some very uncomfortable situations and found ways for him to organically find solutions to those problems. Watching as Dexter goes well over 24 hours with no sleep as he tries to outmanoeuvre the local police felt like a hallmark of those first few seasons, and it was better executed than last week. I like watching him juggle his responsibilities with trying to find somewhere to put the body. But there is some sloppy writing here too. The infrared cameras just happen to have a blind spot that doesn't show the actual killing is a coincidence, and similar moments save Dexter far too often as the original series went along. Despite having the same build and weapon as shown in the camera, having contact with Matt on three separate occasions in the days prior, living nearby and hiking in the area, any decent police force would put Dexter as a major suspect, if not the prime suspect. Sure, he went in for some questioning, but it seems like his weak explanations were believed. My only hope is that Logan actually isn't buying it. Making the police force smart and then seemingly dumb, depending on the needs of the plot, is lazy. And there's plenty of that in Dexter's latter seasons. Also, it's kind of weird that there's an incinerator with no security or fences, etc. Just to keep out teens that might hurt themselves would make sense. Just stroll up and throw a body in seems to be okay. Even in a small town, I'm not sure I'd buy that. I like the I like that the forensic expert, while seemingly clumsy, was talented at his job. But I find it hard to believe that he could be that on point with everything, given the climate, wind, and other factors that could muddy up the details that were spot on. I know he's probably good at his job, but it feels it just feels like, given how many people have walked over the crime scene alone, would make it difficult to pinpoint where a body fell and hit a stone that's now missing. On the positive front. The Harrison storyline is picking up steam. He seems to have a genius IQ, doesn't like bullies and has some skills that would make Liam Neeson proud. In fact, when he choked that kid, my first thought was the Dexter and Dokes fight at the docks in season one when he employed a similar move. He can also pick locks, just like Dad. I do worry about his new enemies. Could one end up dead soon with Dexter there to help clean up? I find Harrison to be more of a threat to Dexter than anything else, and I'm a little surprised that Dexter isn't more worried. Is his son his blind spot, like Dexter was for Deb? Alarm bells that should go off, stay silent? I still feel like there is more going on with his backstory than we know so far. His whole story could be one big lie, or at least mostly a lie. I have to imagine that there'll be 
there will need to be at least a couple of big WTF moments and one involving Harrison could be immensely satisfying if done right. There is another episode where this is sorry, I'll read that again. This is another episode where the broad strokes feel well crafted, but some of the details feel sloppy. I actually feel a bit disappointed. Thanks, Mike. That's a very interesting perspective. Much of the feedback I've had has been positive about this episode and rating it the best new blood so far. You're digging deep here and I can see where you're coming from. The openness of the incinerator seemed wrong to me. Something as dangerous as that would would be behind a fence or something, wouldn't it? Not just open for anyone to walk by and access. Surely they could have shown him prying open a window to get inside the building uh, and depict at least a degree of security. The whole camera thing bothered me too, as I've talked about. Okay, the Seneca people have them up in the trees for whatever reason, monitoring wildlife or whatever it is, but once Dexter knew they were there, he should be wary of returning to the scene later on, especially if he's then going to get up to something shady. And to not acknowledge it, even in voiceover either, something like, gotta watch out for the cameras, so we know that he knows they're still there and he's not messing up the investigation with reckless abandon. Your point about the police force, I got a sense in some of Logan's reactions that his cogs were wearing in his head and maybe things weren't quite fitting together for him. Um, I, I think in my review I said maybe this will come back later that some at some point a penny drops that Dexter knows more than he's letting on so perhaps we should let's reserve judgment about the local police at the moment hey Gareth Nick here first of all great episode last week with Axel um, I wanted to point out something that he was able to articulate something it's something that I've kind of struggled with um, frequently to kind of express um, there's this idea that comes up often that Dexter doesn't make mistakes or that he shouldn't. In fact, every time Dexter makes a mistake or does something that seems like maybe not a great idea, people like to always point at that one line from the first episode where he says, I'm a very neat monster. Uh, I've always kind of flinched when that comes up because it ignores the the fact, I think, that he is human at his core and he is capable of making rash decisions, especially as he becomes more and more human. Um, I think this came up several times in regards to his choice to actually send a letter to Hannah after faking his death. Um, And I totally buy into that because he's letting go of his only son. And even if every fiber of his being was screaming at him, no, don't do it, just let him go. I feel like there would be some part of him that that would just resist all that and say, I'm going to leave myself this lifeline. And that's that I feel like that was kind of the unintentional or maybe the unspoken purpose of his letter to Hannah. But anyways, that's getting really deep into stuff I'm not here to talk about. I'm here to talk about smoke signals. Um, To me, this felt like maybe the weakest episode thus far. Not because I think it was bad or anything, but because it bounced around a lot. So the pacing kind of suffered, I think. And strangely enough, it seems like they may have cut a really big Deb scene at the incinerator that kind of left that whole thing at the end feeling a bit rushed. Um... It still has some great moments and some revelations that I think hint at what's to come, but it still doesn't quite feel like we're in the thick of it just yet. Let's see, uh, what else? I I think the hilariously wild Deb scene with the wood chipper was fantastic. Uh, It was an example of how wild they're willing to get with it, and I'm, I'm, honestly, I'm into it. Um, 
we got our first real hint that Harrison is harboring some of that Daddy Dexter darkness after all. His little throat move on Zack reminded me of Dexter pinning Dokes to the shipping container back in Season 1. Um, with that said, I think the highlight of the episode for me, though, was the big bad tease. Um, I was pretty convinced that Kurt Caldwell wasn't going to be that masked shooter that we saw in the trailers, but based on his eyes in this episode, I'm pretty convinced otherwise now. Uh, the big thing, though, that stood out to me was the embalming scene, though. The music they chose to play during that scene was very reminiscent to me of season four and Trinity when he was remembering his sister, which gave it this really creepy vibe, and the imagery was just gross. The wiping down of the body, inserting the instruments for draining the blood, etc., etc. My wife actually suggested that maybe he's turning the girls into taxidermy, to which I say, ugh. Um... Lastly, I'm intrigued by Kurt's lie at the end about talking to Matt on FaceTime. I can't imagine what his motivation is there, but consider me intrigued. Anyways, this has gone on way longer than I intended to, so I'm going to let other listeners cover what I may have missed. Uh, I look forward to hearing from everybody, and again, thank you, Gareth, for the episode. Uh, Cheers. Thanks very much, Nick. Interesting comments on Dexter making mistakes and particularly sending the letter to Hannah as a human being, not as a sociopath or a psychopath, but purely as a human being. It would be natural to want that lifeline, as you put it, a connection to his son and the woman he's loved, even though he knows that he could bring harm by getting back together. Can you imagine the crap that Dexter will have given him when he sent that letter off? We can only imagine Dex has acknowledged that he's rusty, and that leads to poor decisions, rash decisions. He's in a hurry to get rid of Matt's body and focus on his son, understandably. He has shown that he's no idiot, though. He's still an intelligent guy, perhaps just not thinking like that neat monster we met first way back in season one. I agree with you about the incinerator scene. It did feel rushed. No explanation. We don't know exactly where this place is or what this place is, there was a sign next to the incinerator doors, but too small to be able to read. Did they cut something with Deb? I don't know, but it does feel like a moment where she might have offered some words of wisdom. I rewatched the trailer because an incinerator did feature, um, but it doesn't look like this bit, so maybe it'll get used again. Your point about the embalming. Yes, that shed a whole new light on the big bad for me. It made me think that whoever's doing this is acting alone. It felt too intimate with the victim for something that would be shared. I think we'll be seeing a stuffed iris at some point. I really do. Uh, Nick followed up uh, with an email theory concerning the sniper's victim. He writes, I've heard a lot of people question how Lily, the young vagrant girl, ended up in that room underneath the bad guy's cabin. This had me perplexed as well. Now I'm thinking that she checked into an actual motel and and was abducted from her room after being drugged by the chocolate and champagne, only to be taken to that underground room that is made to look identical to the room at the hotel. This would explain why the door handle vanished and her phone disappeared after she woke up. I think she woke up in a completely different place after passing out and didn't even realise it. Perhaps the bad guy's working with someone who runs that motel, or at the very least uses it as a hunting ground to kidnap young girls who pass through town. Thanks, Nick, for that extra theory, and I think you could well be right. Okay, an email has come in from Bruce Evans, who writes, What's missing from the original run is the kill of the week. 
the kill of the week formula where Dexter would hunt and kill someone new each episode and put them on his kill table. This was in addition to the big bad that Dex was going up against. This is what made the show so successful and every episode gripping and action-packed. The revival obviously can't use it as Dexter is trying to abstain from killing and is living in a small town where everyone knows each other so there's no one to hunt like how he used to in Miami. This has made episode 2 and 3 seem slow and it's not as action-packed as a normal episode. Just curious to hear your thoughts on this. Do you think the Kill of the Week formula will be utilised in the second half of the season? I honestly don't see it being used at all unless tons of people who fit Dexter's code randomly move to the town or something. Look at all the hysteria over one missing person in the town, which has been the focus of episodes two and three, compared to how it was in Miami where people go missing all the time, so there's no way that Dexter would take the risk. When the revival was announced... If you ask most fans what they wanted to see, most would probably answer that they would want a better ending and for Dexter to kill a lot of people like in the good old days of the original run. So it'll be interesting to see how the fans react if he doesn't kill as many people as they expected him to when the season's over. The original Dexter never had any annoying school or teenager stuff and I hope there isn't too much of it this season but I understand why it needs to be added because of Harrison's inclusion as a main character in the story. There's definitely something sinister going on with him, so it will be interesting to see what more we find out about him as the season progresses. I have a feeling that he's lying about Hannah and actually killed her. I'm surprised that there hasn't been a conversation between Dexter and Harrison about Rita. I thought she'd be mentioned by now as she is his mother and he would want to know more about her, probably in future episodes. Thanks, Bruce. I don't think, like you, I don't think we'll go back to the formula of the original series with a kill of a week. He doesn't have the same access to resources to identify them, and in Iron Lake, there just won't be the candidates. I'm sure he will kill again, though. Like you, I'm also surprised Dex and Harrison haven't talked about Rita yet. I'd also be interested to hear what... Excuse me. Oh dear, pardon me. Uh, (laughs) I'd also be interested to hear what Hannah was like as a surrogate mum all those years. Indeed, I'd like to hear what life was like for Harrison in Argentina. Lots of gaps to be filled, but it would be lovely for them to have a a heart-to-heart about Rita. She may not have been Dexter's soulmate, but she was still hugely important to him. A voicemail now from Kim in Las Vegas. Check out the big brains and brass on Harrison. All right, I am liking this Harrison. Granted, the original shows Harrison's, plural. It's not as if that character could have done much. He was very, very young then, but I am digging the teenage Harrison. He's he's pretty cool. Though, I'll have to admit that it's not as if there's much to compare him to. Cody and Aster were a literal annoying, but granted, they were also, what, barely pre-teens part of that time, so I guess I can't exactly blame them for being annoying, but Harrison is awesome. I'm glad he helped Ethan, though. Ethan Clark, that's the, I think that I got that right, that's the kid's name who was being catfished by those jocks on the wrestling team. Anyway, I'm glad Harrison stepped in, but looks like now Harrison's gonna have the issue of finding out that his dad is a killer, and then that his new buddy Ethan definitely wants to kill somebody. It sucks to be bullied in high school. I was one of those people that got beat up once and uh, didn't really enjoy people and might have had some tendencies similar to Ethan's where I just had these fantasies of attacking some people. But 
and didn't actually want to harm and kill them. So maybe, I guess, maybe we shouldn't be taking Ethan too seriously. Teen angst is pretty disgusting and uh, disturbing stuff there. So maybe that's just kind of a red herring to also add into some of this crazy plot we have going on. As for Kurt over here, what in the world? As his son is raining down ash on him. Literally his dead body raining on him. And he's over here talking about how he FaceTimed his son. What kind of plot is that? Has he figured out something or he at least suspects something and wants to see the reaction of of all of the people in town? Because maybe if somebody kind of flinches or blinks an eye or something when... He's claiming that he's talked to his son that maybe he'll catch them. Maybe he was just trashed. Who knows? But that's an interesting development right there. So I can't wait to see what's going on. And another note. Yeah, let's go on with the true crime podcasters. Podcasters Unite. I'm not a true crime podcaster, but a podcaster anyway. But Jamie Chung, awesome. Love that woman. I don't know how this character is going to be um, uh, on this show. Probably going to be killed somehow, some way. But at the same time, love me some Jamie Chung because uh, I just remember her from playing Mulan on Once Upon a Time. And man, that show missed a lot of amazing lesbian romances. I mean, come on, Mulan and Aurora, that'd have been bomb. Come on, the evil queen slash Regina and Emma. Come on, come on. It's so awesome. Anyway. Until next week, I think I'm I think I'm enjoying this new version of Dexter. Oh wait, I want to make one last point. Sorry, Gareth, this is already getting long, but this feels like definitely they're trying to make up for some huge mistakes that were made in the first version of this, and maybe they should have started the story out this way instead of how they did it because I think they had to constantly reset the show and rewrite because they wanted they're like oh crap we shouldn't have had Dexter with a steady wife and a baby and two adopted kids this is just going to totally ruin everything but this version is different because Harrison is just old enough to sometimes be off on his own hanging out with some girl you know that he's got a crush on and at the same time Dexter can sort of do what he wants to do this probably is how the show probably should have started but whatever that's water under the bridge now all right talk to you next time thanks kim i'm really sorry to hear you had some trouble in school bullying is just bullying is just the worst i got bullied a bit too when i was at school and i think it's normal to quietly fantasize about getting some revenge in some capacity or to see your to see your bullies get some comeuppance some karma It's another thing entirely to want to act it out for real violently, and it's even more to actually kill someone. Ethan's drawings could just be an expression of his hurt and illustrating that he needs some support. Growing up is hard enough without people being mean. So Harrison is indeed at an age where he doesn't need to be looked after 24-7. Remember the days of Dexter going to do his dirty deeds while baby Harrison was left in the car? Those days are long gone but his domestic obligations are definitely more conducive now for him to go about his business. I had an email from Danielle Hawley in Australia, who, uh, if I remember rightly, emailed uh, fairly frequently uh, back in the old days. So welcome back. Wondering what's in the caves she is and uh, wondering what's there that, that Kurt doesn't want people finding. And she gets the feeling, like a lot of us did, that he's preserving the bodies through embalming. Creepy stuff. 
Here's a voicemail from our friend Chris in Scotland. Hi Gareth, Chris from Scotland here with my feedback for episode 3 of Dexter New Blood, Smoke Signals. This, for me, was by far and away the best episode of the season yet. It captured so much of what I love from the original run. It got back to the fun and mischief of Dexter being in, in trouble, having to be smart and having to think about what he was going to do. It spent a long time just focusing on Dexter trying to think of ways to get rid of the body, and it didn't just go for the obvious straight away. Even when Dexter went into the caves, he was smart by throwing the stone in to see how deep the cave, uh, sorry, the hole in the cave was. Things like that made me think back to why I loved the show in the first place. The scene with Dexter using um, Matt's clothes and waving it around the snow to create a pattern for the dogs was really smart and really well done. It was actually a really beautiful scene. The cinematography is absolutely outstanding. It is gorgeous to watch and gorgeous to look at. One of most people's, including myself, big complaints about the ending of the last few seasons of the original series was that the show treated its viewers with a little bit of contempt and that they just said, you've just got to accept what's happening and just go with it. And it was really lazy writing. This was really smart and made me realise why I love the show in the first place. Moving on to Harrison, I said last week that I was on the fence about whether or not he had his own dark passenger. I'm still on that fence. I find myself leaning one way and then the other. But this week, I thought, how did Harrison get all of these skills? How has he learned to pick locks? How has he learned to be so strong and so smart when he grabbed that boy by the throat. It was really strong and really violent. How did he learn to do that? But then in the same time, you can see the empathy and how he helped the boy who was being catfished. So for me, <clears throat> I'm really not sure yet with Harrison and it is really intriguing and really interesting. Could Harrison be the biggest threat to Dexter yet? Dexter is showing that he really wants to be a dad. When he said later in the episode, dad, my, my new favourite word, Dexter has a blind spot when it comes to Harrison. Could this lead to his ultimate downfall? We will see. And that is one of the mysteries that I'm loving this season. Finally, going and looking at the killer for this season. We've got a lot more this week. We've seen how really sadistic and evil this killer was. Could this be the most sadistic and evil killer that Dexter has ever came up against? The killer seemed to take joy in tormenting his victim and giving his victim the chance of thinking that they could possibly escape before shooting them and killing them. And then we obviously see that he is taxiderming, if that's a word, his victims, really chilling. Um, when we got the full view of the killer coming out with the gun and the mask on, it certainly looked like Clancy Brown, um, certainly from a physicality standpoint, but again, I'm still not sure. I was leaning towards Kurt, and then when we get reintroduced again to Edward Olsen, when he pulled up to try and help later in the episode, it was a reminder that he's there for a reason. 
Could it be him? Could it be both? I think it may have been Axel last week that suggested that there could be the possibility of a group of rich, older men being the killers and this being some sort of game for them. I quite liked that theory and that could possibly be true. Speaking of Axel, it was great to have him back on your show last week and you bounced off each other really nicely. I also liked um, both of you giving feedback to listeners' emails and listener voice back, uh, feed, voice feedback. It was excellent and really good to hear. I'm enjoying hearing from all of the other Dissecting Dexter listeners and it's really interesting and really thought-provoking. Keep up the good work, everyone involved. And since Axel mentioned it last week, I will sign off with, I'll see you in another life, brother. Thanks, Gareth. Thanks so much, Chris. I agree with you. How gorgeous this season is to look at. Massive credit to the production team. A lot of your comments there echo my own thoughts, and you also picked up on Harrison showing empathy, which his father lacked back in the day. I think he got a little better as he went along, but he did struggle with it. And you're right about the blind spot. You're not the first to mention it this week, and um, it's a valid point. I think it was Mike who said Deb had a blind spot with Dexter, and Dex has one with Harrison. It could mean he misses stuff and then it's too late to save him when things hit the fan. Hopefully not, but then there wouldn't be dramatic tension if things went smoothly, would it? <laughs> With the Great stuff. Thanks, Chris. Here's Travis. Hey, Gareth. This is Travis. Lord knows that I've had criticisms against the show in the past, and I've even got my own criticisms for the show currently. But one of the criticisms that I see other people lobbying against the series in the past is they'll say things like, it's really unrealistic how Dexter got away with it for so long because there's cameras everywhere. He'd get seen. People have cameras on their cell phones. There's cameras in parking lots, on ATM machines, at the damn grocery store, right? People think Dexter would, would get seen. And, and I never really th thought that was fair criticism because there's plenty of fair criticism against the show, but not that because I think that overestimates how often physical human beings are watching this footage on cameras or how people overestimate how long footage is kept before it's deleted or written, rewritten, thrown away or anything like that. So it was, it was my delight when I saw camera footage finally playing a role in the show. Uh, the infrared cameras, you know, I think that's a, a cool thing. Uh, you know, it's not something I ever thought of, but their explanation, even if it's not a real world thing, their explanation makes sense to me. Like, okay, yeah, they would have cameras in the woods to track animal migration or things like that. Oh, okay, that makes sense. So I, I thought that was funny. And those people who always are, were always mad about cameras in the past will finally maybe feel validated. They, they'll feel seen. Um, now, I'm not entirely sure um, that I love that, you know, Dexter was caught caught off guard by the cameras, which is great. I'll, I'll excuse that he never noticed them before, but it's like he notices he he gets sight of like two cameras in the woods, and then he spends the the next night dancing around, you know, trying to throw this attack the scent dogs off of his trail, metaphorically and literally speaking. Uh, and I guess we're just to assume he didn't get seen by any of those cameras. I guess. Once he was aware of them, he was able to spot every camera in the woods and also know their field of vision. I guess we're, I'm just, we're just going to hand wave that away. Um, regarding who the masked man is in the, the, the white mask, 
I mean, is there any doubt that that's Kurt Caldwell? That's Clancy Brown? The only reason... I mean, the guy's got such distinct eyes. He's got the eyes of a bullfrog. The man looks like Jabba the Hutt. A handsome Jabba the Hutt. And the only reason that I... I the only reason that I, I, I pause is because it seems so obvious. Why would they even bother hiding it if it wasn't obvious? Are they, they going to do some weird... He's got a twin brother or something? I don't know. I think uh, generally everybody agrees it's Kurt Caldwell. And it's weird. You guys spoke uh, on the podcast last week about that they've got Kurt Caldwell and they've got uh, Olsen, the... The, the billionaire dude. They kind of seem like redundant characters. They're both rich. Now, of course, relative to Olsen, Kurt Caldwell's not rich at all. But I, they're, they're both like wealthy people that live in the town that are secret assholes. Why are they both in the show? I, I, I'm waiting for them to to justify having both people. Because as, as it stands now, it seems like this could have been written as one character. Or if it was going to be two characters, make them brothers or something. Everyone knows. Like, oh, that's the old Caldwell brothers. They're, they've always been assholes or something, right? But Kurt, he's the nice one. You know, the billionaire, he's the, he's the asshole brother. But Kurt's the nice one. We all like him. He'd never shoot a woman in the woods. That's not Kurt's style. He's too nice. Um, we, it's just weird. It seems redundant writing so far. It seems messy. Um, but speaking of Olsen... What a weak bitch this fool is, man. This Audrey girl uh, orchestrates like a a 12-person, a 12-child, it's all minors, like high schoolers, protest against the man. And man, he's still taking it so personally. You know, I guess we're just going to hand wave why how he found her in the middle of the wilderness when her car broke down. I don't think there was any foul play there, but okay, whatever. He found her in the wilderness... And then he comes up and still tries to intimidate her. He tried to kind of bring that up to the mom last week. Like, you tell your daughter that it's not cool the way she did that. And now he's doing the same thing here. Like, you hate me, but I'm this and that. Like, yo, dude, it's, get over it. It's, oh, it's Man, I can understand if someone's organizing some 100,000-person protest in New York City. But it's some 12 kids or crying, whatever, man. He would not take it personally at all. Or he shouldn't, at least. Um, uh, I've been... The last thing I'll say, I think... Uh, I've been very uninterested in Harrison. Um, largely. I, I'll have more thoughts on that later. I, I don't want to drag on too long. This is already longer than I, I've, I've been. But uh, I was very interested. Suddenly, I'm very interested in Harrison. I like... Um, when, when suddenly... He's kind of, the the feeling I got. He was he was kind of turned on, or so he was kind of interested in his buddy kind of doing some Columbine shit. You know, like oh hey, how long have you been drawing this? I'm hoping that goes somewhere interesting because suddenly Harrison's interesting to me, and he's not just uh, uh uh what I what I'll talk about another time. Like I think he's kind of being written like a self insert character. Some people would say Mary Sue, but I I wouldn't say that. So when he's he's got this weird thing where he's like kind of into this, like oh okay maybe this dude does have dark have some darkness. I hope it goes somewhere interesting, and I hope it doesn't just turn into another instance where Harrison can prove how fucking cool he is, and he can save the day, and everyone is like, Harrison, you're the fucking best, dude. We love you. We can't stop thinking about you, right, Dexter? Right, Audrey? Yeah. Anyway, 
See you next week, Gareth. <laughs> I loved your backpedal there, calling Clancy Brown Jabba the Hutt, and then immediately, oh, ha- oh, ha- a handsome Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> That's so much better. <laughs> you better hope Mr. Brown doesn't hear about this so he doesn't go all Shawshank Redemption on you. Your thoughts about the cameras, though, echo my own. Within the same episode, to introduce them, have Dexter shocked, surprised and caught on the back foot by them, and then going back to the same place, knowing there are cameras, doing his scent trail dance thing. It's, it is, it, it's incredibly sloppy. And I don't know if this is a, as you say, a hand-waving thing or that Dexter really isn't thinking things through very well. By rights, this should it should come back to bite him. If not, then we'll know this is a hand wave thing and we can call them out for it. The presence of two rich guys in the show is interesting. One is pretty clearly the killer, while the other, is he there to be a red herring? For me, I apply the law of character economics that says that if a recognisable actor shows up, it's not just to make up the numbers. It's not worth their time and effort. They'd show up to be important to the plot sooner or later. We see it all the time in films and TV shows. So what part Olsen will end up playing? I don't know, but he seems superfluous at this point, which makes me think he'll do something important later. So that's it for this week. Thanks very much for everybody's feedback. Uh, it's it's very much appreciated and uh, it's, it's good to hear that you guys listening uh, enjoy listening to it as well. If you want to get in touch, the email address, as always, is dissectingdexter at gmail.com, where you can send an email or a voicemail recording, as uh, a few of you are doing. And that is fantastic, because I, I love to mix it up with some different voices on here. You can also reach out to me on Twitter at dissectdexter, or we've got the Facebook page, facebook.com slash dissectingdexter. Okay, that's it for another episode. I'm back home now. The audio quality is probably jumping all over the place, isn't it? <laughs> okay, so, yeah, I'm quite happy, I think, with uh, where things are poised with the show at the moment. And it sounds like, from your feedback, it sounds like you guys are as well, on the whole, uh, which is a good place to be, I think. Don't you agree? I'm looking forward to next week. We'll be dissecting some more Dexter together. Uh, And before then, I hope all our North American friends have a happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy the long weekend, guys. And uh, and we'll get together again next week. So thanks for listening. Special thanks, of course, to my Patreon supporters. Stay safe, everybody. Take care. Bye for now.